think one of the best bits of doing this podcast is I get to connect with and then make friends with some incredible people. This is certainly the case with my next guest, George Tatak, who is genuinely one of the loveliest people I think I've ever met. George entered the world of mental health in a rather unique way by developing some technology that helped him communicate with his granddad who was suffering with Alzheimer's disease. He has since launched the organization How Mental, which boasts a ridiculous 810,000 followers online and provides much needed mental health guidance to so many. We discuss all sorts today, including how economic measures such as GDP are perhaps not the best or only way to measure society's worth, George's plans to become the extinction rebellion of mental health, and even what we feel our purposes are on this planet. It's a big one, there's no messing about, and I really hope you love it. George, welcome to the sofa. So nice to have you here. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. No worries. We met recently at a conference and I've been looking forward to this ever since, but let's get straight into it. Where did your journey start in the world of mental health? So I did not intend on working in mental health at all. Used to work in finance, consultancy. I mean, that was the way that my dad especially had programmed me. But when I realized that wasn't for me, I was looking around at the time and my granddad was suffering with Alzheimer's disease. And I don't know if you know much about Alzheimer's and, um, you know, obviously it affects everyone differently because it degrades the neural pathways in your brain. So it can do all kinds of crazy things. But in his case, he actually couldn't speak anymore. And I was floored by the fact that it not only affected him, but it affected everyone around him. So it affected my grandma, who became a full-time carer. It affected my mom, you know, she was incredibly depressed and it affected me too. And I wanted to do something to help. And so I realized that actually, because he couldn't speak, we could no longer stay in touch. You know, I couldn't just pick up the phone and, and say hello. So I wanted to find a new way for us to communicate. And I realized the way that we communicated in person was through touch itself. So it was a hug, it was holding his hand or giving him a kiss. And so I found a way to use vibrations and manipulate vibration patterns to allow us to actually share a moment with each other whenever we were apart. So, you know, I would send one vibration his way and then he'd send a vibration my way. And then I, and then I knew that he was there with me at that same moment in time without any words or without anything else. How did you pass the vibration? How did it specifically work? So the, the simple idea was, was literally like, I send one vibration, so it goes like, let's say, <laughs> and then it gets to him. And then once he comes online, it might change. So it'll be like, dun, dun, dun. So you know that you're there with him. And that was just like the very simple version. Like eventually I, I developed a few different ways to communicate. So uh, to help people share different kinds of touch. So like a hug or a kiss or, you know, uh, to hold someone's hand through your phone. Um, so to do that, you'd basically take your phone, you press it to your chest. And in that moment, you're actually unconsciously hugging yourself. But it's it releases the vibrations and it gives you some sound. So it's a, a really immersive experience. And yeah, and then I patented that language and I got super obsessed with it. And, um, and that was my first experience in, in mental health. And, you know, at the time it was really hard because I didn't know anything about it, but I learned pretty quick. But what I found most difficult was that actually other people in the space weren't really accepting of me. You know, it's like I didn't have a degree in psychology or I didn't have, you know, I wasn't a doctor. So, you know, and at, at the time as well, they said, technology like that's not really for mental health so it was kind of a a, a baptism of fire <laughs> getting through that um but yeah that's how i kind of first started wow simplicity is beauty and your journey then led to you starting how mental can you just tell us a little bit about your amazing organization and what the sort of time frame was there as well yeah for sure so was working on this vibration-based language for about four or five years. And then one day I was in my co-working space and a friend of mine approached me and she said, George, listen, I know you work in mental health. I am feeling super depressed. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what I need. And, you know, do I just go on mine's website? Is that it? And it struck me that because I had 
now being immersed in the sector for four or five years, I'd learned everything about it. You know, I knew what was happening. I knew who the different people were, who were creating different things, different organizations, also how to go about getting support, what kind of support is, is sort of, um, you know, most valued right now. What are we talking about in terms of innovations going ahead and what are the, the, the latest topics? So you get the whole privilege of being in the sector, but everyday people have no idea where to go. Sure. You know, they've had no education. Yeah, not one second of being, you know, explained even what depression is or what anxiety is or what anything is, even what mental health is. Sure. So I was like, well, this is completely fucked up. Like, <laughs> I like, cause I could make the coolest vibration language in the world, but if no one ever heard about it, what's the point, you know? So, and also I thought of all the other people that I knew who were making incredible things. And I was like, it's a shame because they're, they've, they spent so long, you know, getting the clinical validation, you know, putting their blood, sweat and tears into something. But if you're not going to, if no one's ever going to hear about it, Again, what's the point? So I got really angry and that tends to be where my best <laughs> ideas and, and sort of actions come from. And so I started this community on Instagram to connect up the mental health sector. And, you know, whether you're people that like, you know, individual people that care about mental health or want to take care of yourself, or if you're uh, an organization that's providing support, I wanted to just bring every person together into one place where we could unite our voices instead of having them sort of fragmented and separate here, there, and everywhere. And, um, and where we could just, you know, show that we're all on the same page and also create one accessible place for people to go and find the support they need. So yeah, so, you know, we consider ourselves a movement and we've been growing, you know, really rapidly, especially over the past couple of years during COVID. So we grew, I think from 80,000 followers just before COVID to uh, 500,000 followers after the first year. And now we're on about 800,000 followers on Instagram. So it's pretty crazy. And we, you know, we reach, I think about 14 million people a month. And yeah, and, and you know, we do it, we do it with a lot of uh, flair, I think, because, you know, I've been through my own experiences of depression, suicidality, those kinds of things. And so there's a lot of humor that we, that we know is really important to bring to the topic of mental health because everyone goes through it. You know, everyone is on their journey and we need to bring some kind of levity and make it genuinely relatable for people to understand that this is something which we can all be at some point suicidal. We probably are all on some level of the, of the spectrum of suicidality. And so it's just about you know, understanding it and processing it in a way that is every day. And so, you know, you go on our page and you'll see it's very fun. It's very light. It's very creative. Um, and yeah, that's what we kind of do to, to make the topic of mental health, to make the tools, to make the community something which people want to be part of. And I, I think that's why it's grown. Amazing. I have to commend you on the content and it is done with flair. I'd seen a lot of How Mental's content before I met you at the conference. And you are really a, a, a movement, but you're also a one-stop shop for mental health in general. And I would advise anyone who's feeling a little bit lost, or even if you're not feeling a little bit lost, to go on and have a look and just see what's out there. And I think what's really interesting that you said, if people don't know where things are, they can't access them, then what's the point? That's then compounded by the very nature of depression and anxiety and mental health. If you're feeling depressed or anxious, it's even harder to find these things. And that's why I think it's such a great initiative. You said you were a movement and you said something really interesting to me when you first had a chat over, over Zoom. You said you want to make How Mental the extinction rebellion of mental health. So tell me a little bit more about that. It's kind of a line that I'm, I'm never really sure I want to use because I think people have different opinions on Extinction Rebellion and what they do. But I think mental health needs a movement, you know? I think our well-being needs to be the global priority because in this world that we currently live in, so my background, like I said, I used to work in finance and consultancy, but, you know, what I studied was economics. And the way that I made economics interesting for myself was to really understand 
you know, why the economy is the way that it is. Why do we have money? You know, why do like, like, is it, is it really evil? Like, you know, like what is, what's going on here, you know, and, and why is, why is the world the way that it is in relation to the economy? And I think a lot of us take for granted the fact that the economy even exists. You know, we want to pretend like that thing is way too complex. It just happens. Um, but it doesn't just happen. And it's, the way it instructs the way that we live on a continuous basis. So to be able to really change things, we need to change the way that we're measuring success. And right now, the way that we measure success as a society is is by GDP. So GDP is gross domestic product. And that's basically a long way of saying it's a, a measure of how much money we spend. So if we're just measuring how much money we spend all the time, we could be spending money on a new pair of shoes or on helping homeless people. And in either circumstance, it's just as valid because it just adds to the amount of money we spend. And then we think that we're doing better. Sure. The economy is better and everyone's suddenly happier. No, you know, like <laughs> there is a difference. And, and, and if we're only able to see life through the lens of the economy and, and through GDP, we are going to continue to face the same issues that we have, whether it's in the environment or whether it's in homelessness or whether it's in mental health. So, you know, that's why I commend Extinction Rebellion for, you know, wanting to make the environment the priority. I believe that well-being needs to be the priority because well-being is such an inclusive topic that it includes the environment, it includes the economy, and it includes our mental health. So, um, yeah, and I would say that well-being in general, before that we rectify this pandemic of mental health that we're having, before people are singing from the same hymn sheet and in a good enough place mentally to put their willpower into other things like the environment, you're really going to struggle. If people are unhappy and people don't have the right support mentally, the last thing on your, on, your, on your list to do is to go and take the recycling out. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's obviously simplifying things massively, but if we are more harmonious in how we treat each other, if we're happy in ourselves, then sure, we can, we can try and put more time and effort into actually fixing the climate crisis as well. And they don't have to be apart. I'm not saying one has to happen first. We can do them um, side by side, but of course, I think, I think I really understand your point there. Yeah. That's exactly where I begin from. I'm like, either I would be focusing on the environment or mental health, but I personally believe like if you fo focus on people's mental health and well-being, everything else will follow. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I think also like it's a, it's a testament to the point that you mentioned earlier as well. Like if people are not feeling well, they're just not going to want to do anything else. And it's just going to make, you know, finding support or anything else so much harder. So instead of us going down that negative cycle of, or a vicious cycle, whatever you want to call it, of, of depression and of everything else, we need to, we need people to be well in the first place, you know, to, to solve these things. Okay. So there's another way then, there's another way that to measure, there's another metric of success that we can switch to. George, how does that work? Okay. So this is what I've been working on recently. And, um, Essentially, the idea is that instead of having the daily weather report, you'd have the daily well-being report. And so, you know, every day, well, the way that it would work is, you know, every day what happens is we all have an app and on this app, we would be able to say how we're feeling. So let's say everyone sets their feeling once a day or as many times as they like a day. That data gets collated, aggregated and averaged out and turned into an overall well-being score. So that score gets shown on the news. And so firstly, it's, it's a score that is like a tangible measure for how people are feeling. And secondly, it's on the news. So it gets shown to everyone. It's given that kind of credibility and importance and, and accessibility as well. And I think, you know, the best thing about it is that it's up to us to control our destiny and, and control our, our future. You know, we all have a hand to play in it. So your feelings matter. You know, if you're feeling really down, that matters. You know, that feeling can contribute to the overall score of the planet. And so it starts to realign our way of thinking in general. You know, like if, 
you know that maybe holding the door open for someone instead of just letting it slam in their face could help their well-being, you would do it, you know, because the overall score is about this. So, uh, and whether it's that or whether it's a government that's realigning its budget, you know, maybe they say, okay, maybe we should invest more in education because uh, education around well-being would be really important. So yeah, so that's the idea is to create a tangible metric for well-being and see how it plays out. And what would be the consequences of a country not doing well for this? How would it, how would a country move forward, for example, and, and, and what would be the negative effects? What would stop a country just disregarding their score? Mm. So the consequences for a country not doing well is complete punishment. Uh, we will never talk to them ever again. And <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we accept that some places are not going to be doing that well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a place to start from, really, you know? I think at the end of the day, if we're not aware of where we're at, it's really hard to take actions. And honestly, I don't blame these countries or these people because we've all been telling ourselves these stories of what we, who we are, what we have to do, and you know, the way that things should be for a really long time. Mm. And we've discredited well-being as a kind of side issue for a really long time. And so, you know, the consequences are that these countries will hopefully receive even more support in the specific ways that they need to be able to improve their well-being score. You know, that's, that's all there is. Like. Sure. And you're not suggesting this would fully replace GDP and the, would there would be a loss of financial markets. How would that, would that be a transition period? How would that actually work? Well-being, improving people's well-being has been shown to improve their productivity. So it actually will improve GDP. So nothing's going to like, you know, it's not like suddenly everyone's going to stop working, you know, or, um, or like there will be no money. Like, no, this should help us to be more productive, to, you know, create more wealth and, and actually to empower all, all kinds of things. Um, and hopefully also even enabled the financial markets to, to align with well-being and to consider it when they are acting. Because, you know, we know that the financial crisis happened because of these mortgages that were given out and, and, uh, and people not being able to afford them. So how do we consider well-being whilst also, you know, like even in the financial landscape? Like maybe when we're looking at giving people mortgages, we also consider giving them some therapy. That would be nice. Yeah, like. Sure. You know? Yeah, interesting. So. I mean, um, information and knowledge is power, mm -hmm. right? And it, I think what it may do is really shift the emphasis and priorities for governments towards well-being. So, for example, I'm thinking straight away, there's been a lot of evidence that the four-day working week works, but there's a lot of pushback on that, even though we see that it improves productivity. And that's coming in slowly in some areas. I think I heard Scotland were trialing it out, and there are other countries that have done so. But if suddenly you have a well-being score and uh, a government and a country can see how well they're doing, and they think, okay, we've heard that the four-day working week improves productivity, but it will also likely improve well-being by a lot more maybe our well-being score would benefit from that, then we'll employ that, let's trial it out. I think that's really cool. How Mental does a great job at putting out resources for people and highlighting where people should go. What's your view on how the current state of affairs are with resources for people's mental health? I think that there are lots of people out there who are creating amazing resources, tools, different forms of support for people. Yeah, I genuinely think that there, that there is a lot out there. The problem, for the most part, is that most people don't know how to communicate that to people. And because of that, we still live in this kind of world where a lot of people just don't get that mental health relates to them. So I think that the main issue that we're facing is one of communication. But I also think that even in terms of the support itself, we are slightly hampered by the fact that the things that get investment are the things that are normally like safe, you know? So when COVID happened, there started to be a lot more investment in mental health in general, also by venture capitalists and different kinds of um, funding organizations that really value profit over anything else. So it's like a whole new swathe of mental health support tools. 
but which which by the way like that's a good thing and a bad thing right like you know like there's more support tools but at the same time they're not going to invest in things that are not already proven and so we're kind of dealing with a lot of tools that are generally not that different from each other you know not necessarily that innovative and you know like i'm not saying that i'm god's gift to innovation and i really think like you know 21 year old george coming up with like a way to share a hug through their phone you know like was not like i don't think that's that remarkable i think that the problem is that we don't really encourage innovation in this space we're really scared of it and i think rightly so in one way because obviously we don't want to damage people's mental health even further so you know we'd rather go the safe route but at the end of the day like we need more innovation we need people to be thinking differently um it's just more fun you know like people need to see that there's something fun about this thing and uh and that they want to engage with and um and it can still have the same kind of like intent and uh accreditation and credibility and power but i think that we just need a little bit more diverse thinking um and and also you know we were speaking earlier about psychedelics and things like that like you know th- there's a lot of investment going on there and i think that there's a lot of you know amazing potential uh it's just a matter of like how long are these things going to take you know people are suffering and you know we need new solutions so so yeah so i think that's I, i'm sorry i can't like wrap that up with like a neat little bow but like <laughs> that's the kind of general state you know things are good but they could be better sure and there's a lot out there and i guess how mental are trying to fix a problem that people don't get to see what is out there mm. would you also think that maybe we treat mental health on a very individual level do do you think that we are trying to put too much onus on the individual to improve their mental health majorly yeah 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 <laughs> like i mean there's only so much we can do for ourselves like i grew up in an environment where my parents were not the most emotionally savvy individuals and so you know when you're confronted with an environment which is super toxic on a continuous basis there's only so much you can do you know there's only so much resilience you can have at the end of the day like we need to be able to work together in this because whether it's the the people around us and our communities that need to recalibrate to be able to empower our well-being or whether it's government taking actions to be able to empower our well-being you know whether it's having more art on the street or whether it's having any of these things so you know there's so much more that we need to do to be able to just give people that lease of life and also to just to just rethink things because like i was saying i guess like everything right now is just so attuned to gdp and to financial profit that it's like you know you can have that but just remember our well-being so so yeah i think that that's the that's the main thing right now is like you know we we can't just we can't do this individually it does take a lot more Yeah. yeah i think that's a really nice uh, a nice thought and there does need to be more wide scale um led help from the government i would suggest rather than just putting the onus on the individual so i feel very lucky to partner with one of my favorite brands for this series heights In an ideal world, we would all eat a diverse, nutritionally complete diet that ensures we meet all of our nutritional requirements. However, if you're anything like me, you know that life likes to get in the way and that this isn't always possible. That's where Heights and their Smart Supplement comes in as the best insurance policy for looking after me and my brain. The Smart Supplement consists of two easy capsules every day and has been formulated by neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart and dietitian Sophie Medlin. The all-vegan capsules are packed with 20 essential vitamins, minerals, antioxidants and healthy fats which are designed to support your brain, nervous system, immune system and even sleep. I personally have noticed an improvement in my focus and a boost in my energy levels and I'm now more motivated than ever on my goals and I even make it to the gym more often when I take Heights. So if you want to get started with brain care, Heights are giving all of my listeners 15% off your first quarterly subscription with the code STRAIGHTTALKING. Head to yourheights.com, use the code STRAIGHTTALKING and start taking care of your brain and body today. 
so we talked quite a lot about society's purpose, but I want to know a bit more about your purpose. Mm. What's your why? That's a big question to just ask like that. <laughs> <laughs> What's my why? Um, I think my why has changed a lot over the years. I think for a long time I didn't have a why, or at least I felt like I wasn't allowed to have my own why. It had to be someone else's. Um, and had to be financially oriented and had to be all these things. I really believe that there's no point in existing if we're just going to do this all by ourselves. You know, like we need other people. Um, we need to be connected to the world around us. And so, you know, I live to serve, you know, like I want to help other people. And that has satisfied me for quite a long time but it's also broken down you know because I think I started to live my life through this kind of like and and we have this like kind of selfless narrative that is perpetuated in society some kind of like uh what's it called saint and yeah I'm I've I've recently had to realize that actually it doesn't it's not enough for me to live for other people you know and actually, when I was feeling suicidal, so I started feeling suicidal about three years ago, and um, I was working so hard and giving so much of myself and didn't feel appreciated at all, like either financially, like, you know, in, in, in terms of connection with others, uh, like, you know, I wasn't seeing like friends and family that much anyway, because I was working all the time. And, you know, I was also in a foreign country. I felt like very disconnected and you know, when you're just giving and, and also at the time, by the way, mental health was not really a thing. So yeah, I, I realized that actually now my purpose is, or my, or my why is, has, it, it just has to include myself. Yeah. You know, it has to include really connecting with myself authentically in this moment and, um, and helping myself because at the end of the day, nothing else can happen if I'm not helping myself. And so uh, I really see myself as someone creative and I need to be able to fulfill that. And so right now, uh, and also this, this one uh, thing came to me once when I was um, on a, I think it was like a mushrooms trip or something, but it came to me and it was like, you're a little space explorer. <laughs> and I was just like, I love that. Like, I just like, I'm just always exploring, like whatever space I'm in, you know, whether it's mental or physical, I'm just exploring. So, you know, to be able to explore and to be able to do that with respect and to also obviously be able to share anything I have to, to offer. Yeah, the why is now a lot less simple than I live to serve, but. I don't think there should be a simple answer to that question because it's surely the biggest question of all what is our why what's our purpose mm. and I think it would be too simplistic to really say for me as well that I have one why mm. I think I, it's a bit of a cliche and it's used a lot but it's like the aeroplane putting your mask on before you help others and I think it's really important to take stock of that that I'm very similar to you I think my core values include connection mm. And they include purpose itself. I have to feel like there is meaning in what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but that doesn't have to be one thing. I think helping others is definitely one, but it can be lots and lots of things. And I think over the course of a lifetime, that may change. And, and I think it would be naive to think that it wouldn't. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of synergy between our answers there, for sure. Well, what's your answer? What's your, like, what's your why? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm sitting on the fence saying that <laughs> yeah. it's finding, my why is trying to find the why, trying to find the purpose. So mm. um, trying to find some meaning in everything I do. Mm -hmm. um, I think connecting with others, I'm drawn to connection. Um, and I spend my life all of the time trying to connect with usually people, but everything really around me. And I think, um, yeah, I would find it very difficult to say that I have one why because i know that over the next probably 12 months that will change enormously mm. i'd like to make a difference in the world mm. i think that would be quite nice to feel like i've i've improved the world around me and i think constant growth so my other other values are, are growth and consistency uh, so those four the growth consistency connection and purpose mm. 
And they're the four things that are most important when I put out sort of eight core key categories for me. And so if I'm chasing those and I feel like I'm, my daily actions are amounting to doing things in, with respect to that, going in those directions, and I feel like I'm kind of getting towards what my why is. Um, and if I do those every day, I feel like all the time I'm finding new and exciting things and things that stimulate me. And at the same time, I'm improving the world around me. So I would try out, if I, it's a hard one to summarize, you know, it's a hard question, you flipped it back on me there, but I would definitely say that's probably, you know, as close to a good answer I can do at this point. Yeah. If you ask me again in six months, we'll see where we're at. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I was going to say as well, because I was going to ask why consistency, but it feels like you answered that afterwards as being like, if I, if I show up every day, then like, if I do this stuff every day, I find that it does help me feel. Yeah. Know, and perhaps consistency doesn't necessarily go into the finding the why for me, but I know that when I'm consistent with trying to grow, trying to connect, then I feel like I'm achieving purpose. And I can sort of put that as a sentence together. And I like that, that keeps, keeps me quite centered and allows me to see, okay, maybe I'm not feeling too good. Am I doing these things consistently that I know are good for me? Yeah. Oh no, I'm not. Maybe I should dip, dip back in and, and see a friend or, yeah. or try and learn something new or whatever it is in terms of growth, et cetera. You're an entrepreneur, you have been for some time. It's a fine balance that we, that we try and run between achieving you know, success, high performance, um, finding our why, doing, doing whatever we're trying to do, but also looking after ourselves and looking after our mental health. And they can be a bit of an oxymoron. You know, they compete with each other sometimes because we're told to slow down and, and not, not burn out. But sometimes it feels like you're not then doing the things that, that light your, you know, light your fire. How do you navigate that catch-22? Mm. First thing I love that you use the phrase light your fire because like, <laughs> it sounds like a song from the noughties, but like, <laughs> it's also, you know, um, I think it's also very apt because I feel that fire and I know when it's out. I think we're sort of fed this lie that being an entrepreneur sets you free um, and that, you know, these incredible people are entrepreneurs and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I feel like it's given me a lot in terms of the, like the, the fact that in every single moment, I know that it's mine to be able to, uh, learn from and make the most of, and it's, it's all on me. But at the same time, like you're saying, when it comes to our well-being, that's also all on me. And so the business and me become kind of competing. Um, so I've had to realize that my business is not me. You know, it's just one tiny little fragment of who I am. And um, yeah, I know, I can't even tell you how many entrepreneurs, I almost want to say 99% uh, of entrepreneurs who are caught in this trap between their business and themselves. And it's really hard to pull yourself out of. I think that, you know, we validate stress and we validate um, money in such a way that people will burn themselves out to make sure that they are successful, um, however success is defined. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've had to, I've had to be really honest with myself about um, just needing my own time and needing my own space and knowing that this is this is my life this is my one life that i'm going to get and if i'm going to spend it doing this job like you know all day and sometimes in the evening i'm going to think about it i'm going to do all that stuff like is that my priority you know and you just have to keep questioning like is it my priority is this what i want you know and you've got to do that every single day like I remember meeting this entrepreneur who I loved and he said he would wake up in the morning and ask himself, do I want to do this? Like, and you know, most people say like, there's this kind of idea that like you have to be so committed and, you know, like know it. But actually I think commitment like really comes from, you know, at least the, the, the truest kind of commitment comes from actually asking yourself and being honest about the answer. Um, so yeah, there are days that I don't want to do anything and I've, only recently started to be like, okay, today is not one of the days that I'm going to be productive. So what am I going to do? Maybe I'll go exercise. Maybe I'll go see friends. Maybe I'll uh, find some poetry or find a, 
an art exhibition or you know find something that inspires me and you know rekindles that fire so uh so yeah now it's it's like when things are you know not quite there i just can't force it anymore i i've I've forced it for too long and i know where that ends up so i just actually ask myself what do i need to make myself feel alive right now or what do i need to do to help myself right now and um and that's what i do so yeah and i rest (laughs) i rest i try to rest so yeah massively important and that can feel really hard when especially the business feels like part of you. It's like your side leg, <laughs> if you pardon, if you pardon the poor phrase there. But it's, you know, it feels like part of you. And so to try and pull yourself away, especially when you've got deadlines and things going on that seem like the most important thing in the world, that can be really difficult. I think there was a really good practical tip in there that you said that was you were asking yourself a question, what is my priority? Is that my priority? Is that a priority? And I think you could... You can sort of put that in your day. I think what's a really good tip for anyone that is a busy person is take an extra 10 minutes out of your day to prep and plan, whether it's your day or your week or your month. You know, get a good diary, um, whether or not it's your phone. I would suggest a paper, paper diary and look at what you've got in there. See how you're feeling. Take a check in. Be mindful for a few seconds and say, do I need to do all of these things today? Can I bosh those off to the next week or in a few days' time? And that just helps. And if if it's if it's no, I heard another good uh, practical tip on this is a gr- traffic light system. Green light, as you have to do this, I think it's my friend Ben West, who's going to be on the podcast this series as well. Green light is that you absolutely are going to do that and it's fine. You have to do it. Amber light is like if you're feeling it at the time. So maybe you check on the Monday and you're a bit too busy, that can get scratched. And red light is like, you know, you, you don't you don't need it necessarily, only if you're really like feeling up to it sort of thing. And just like little practical things like that can really help you just shape shape your sort of how you're feeling about your week and, and take some of the pressure off I think mm, I mean definitely and just like remembering that you're a multi-dimensional human being with multi-dimensional needs you know and um and that those are all equally valid yeah absolutely as someone who has a fairly clear why although we said it was quite a complex uh question to answer for anyone out there who's listened to us say our whys or has been feeling a little bit lost in terms of purpose recently. Do you have any advice for them to try and find their why? Mm-hmm. I actually do. And I'm so glad you asked that because I was going to say it before and then like the chance didn't come and now you've just presented it. So, um, so kudos to you and being good <laughs> at what you do. Um, yeah, I actually, um, so I had this realization when, uh, like I said, when I became suicidal, uh, and I had this moment where, essentially because I had grown up in this, you know, really difficult environment at home, to get myself through it, I kept saying, you know, there's a reason for it. You know, there's always a reason. And um, there's a reason why things happen. There's a reason I why things happen. say that a lot as well. Yeah. It comes from my mom. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, I always believed it. And... In fact, I was so optimistic. I thought everything happens for the best. You know, I was like, everything happens, even all the worst things in the world. They have something to teach us, blah, blah, blah. Everything happens for the best. And so when I became suicidal, I had this moment where I realized that I I had this kind of idea of a great wind, which was pushing me along, pushing me along. And it had inspired me in incredible ways to, you know, to find purpose in everything. But what I realized then was that after going through all of this and after giving so much of myself, the wind was gone. I looked around and I was like, my God, there is no wind. You know, I was just creating that wind. In that moment, I realized that actually life has no inherent purpose in and of itself. You know, things just are the way they are. My, my household, my family was just toxic. It's not like there was a grander purpose to me being there. So life has no purpose except that which we provide it. 
So we create the purpose. We find the purpose all the time.、Mm-hmm. We are like purpose machines or purpose magicians,、Absolutely. like you know, going creating purpose. Oh yeah, the reason why I tripped over that thing was because of you know, I needed to see the birds. Like you know, like <laughs> we love to put a story on things. We love we, stories. You know, it's the best way to convey information. If you meet someone who tells you information through a story, you're just captivated. Yeah. Yeah, Rory Sutherland on the Diary of the CEO. It's a great person、yeah. to listen to for that. Oh, really?、Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think the thing is that I now no longer buy the stories, and I don't buy the purpose. And I think that it's all. And I love science fiction. I love fantasy. I love creativity. I love all of these things. I just think that we also need to be able to see them for what they are. You know, and. Making friends with reality in that regard is just so important, and so, so I think knowing that you have the power to create your own purpose is the most important thing, and so you can do that in whatever way you want, and I think that's I think that's the the most amazing thing. But also just to remember that these stories are things of our own creation, and so. You know, when things don't work out for whatever reason, don't give me any shoulds or woulds or coulds because reality doesn't have to work that way.、Mm-hmm. You know, like we're creating our story, and that's a, a beautiful thing and a beautiful skill that we have. But at the same time, to recognize that, yeah, we're just we're kind of just one thread in this whole tapestry of whatever reality is, and so to accept that those stories can change. You know, and we can change, and we can also find a lot of peace in looking at the stories from afar and saying, you know, wow, that's a beautiful thing, but I don't have to be in it.、Yeah. You know, you have the power to change those stories, and you also have the power to decide how much weight you give to them.、Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful, and and something that can give you quite a lot of solace in life. And be quite protective for your mental health. If you can be, if you realise you're flexible in that, then you you're getting towards being bulletproof in、yeah. some ways. You know, and things will challenge you. Of course, you're going to have certain times in your life where things are less stressful. You don't have big life events, and then you have big life events, and suddenly you think, oh god, maybe I'm not as bulletproof. Maybe I'm a bit shattered. But you come back, and you can tell yourself a different story time and time again.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's a great bit of advice. You have. Given people this idea that there could be a well-being metric, and it would be such a lovely world to live in if we did have that, I want to know for people out there that are sat listening to this who want to make the world a better place, who who sort of thought that idea, heard that idea, and thought it was a lovely idea, what action can they take to make the world a better place? So many, <laughs> so many. I mean, also like that. It doesn't need to be big. You know, I think we like. I I like things to be big. Like I like to like think as big as possible, and and honestly, that really helps me because I don't see any like I just see possibility. You know, and I think that we need to be. I think a lot of us need to be a lot more、um, just open with.、Uh, With our imagination and allowing ourselves to create and think differently and just go down different paths, you know, why walk around the block the same time every time when you could just go down a different path? And down those paths, you have no idea what there might be. But as long as you're not scared and as long as you have good intentions, I think that they can show really beautiful things. Or even if you are scared, you're allowed to be scared. <laughs> I think I think change can be scary. But in answer to your question. I would say just go with what makes you most enthused, invigorated. What really means something to you as well, you know, like and 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 tap into that. And so, you know, even if it's like, like I, I love that, like you know, drama therapy and things like that are becoming like really big because I just like you know, it's so it's so cool to me. Like, of course, drama and acting and you know, like getting in touch with. Personality and character could be really interesting for someone to use from a therapeutic perspective. Like it's just, of course, you know. But some people like to draw. Some people like to,、um, I don't know. Some people like to make money, and you know, you can do that whilst also helping the world. It really doesn't take that much. You, when you want to help the world, 
donate one of one percent of your profits to something that really like you know that really matters or you know work with an organization that's um you know that works in mental health or that you know works in i don't know lgbtq rights and and do a campaign with them like you know there's the possibilities are endless for ways that you can help people and i think that it's all just about asking yourself what do you want to do because at the end of the day you know the thing that you're passionate about most is going to be the thing that's going to keep you going the most so just tap into your passion and and go with that mm. um it's a yeah. great answer i think for anyone that's struggling to start and it maybe doesn't come natural naturally to them i think just try to connect with more people mm-hmm. i think whether or not that's just in your day-to-day life or reach out to friends you haven't spoken to for a while but just see what happens when you start to network a little bit more and you put yourself out there i think it's a really big part of my life and how my life has changed over the last maybe 18 months to two years suddenly the number of people i speak to on a daily or weekly basis has gone maybe up 10 times um and it, it has changed my life i would say it's a huge a huge thing that someone can do to improve the world around us how can people find how mental so you just go on at how mental uh, on Instagram and on most platforms, either at how mental or at how mental underscore uh, and go to www.howmental.com. So, or you can just reach out to me on George at how you know, lots of different ways, all the socials. But I also just want to say on the, on the note of what we were previously talking about um, with helping people find their purpose. I think what you said is so important because so many people just don't know where to start. And I, I feel really like, you know, grateful that I just, I'm just one of those people that like, I just, I know what my passions are and I kind of just keep going with them. But I think the other thing is like, when someone like me comes on, comes on a podcast like this and starts talking about it, it sounds like we have it all figured out. And like, you know, that I just created this thing and, you know, like I knew that this is what I was going to do. Absolutely not. Yeah, for sure. You know, you have to like also accept that like you have no idea what you're doing and that you can have an idea and that idea can change where a lot of us get stuck when we just want the finished product. Mm -hmm. Like we want to know what that final thing is that we're going to do. And then we just don't even allow ourselves to take the first step because we're too scared. We're not going to get to the place that we need, we need to be. But the only way you're going to get anywhere is by taking those first steps. So just go work with what you can see my brother said his therapist came up with a nice analogy. So it's like, imagine like someone climbing a, a mountain face and like they can only see five meters ahead. So it's just like, what is in your five meters ahead vicinity? And just work with that because that's all you can do. And um, it's going to empower you. So yeah, spawn, take action. Yeah. Little yeah. steps. Yeah. So George, we've come towards the end. It's been a great conversation. I usually round up with this question. What is your one best bit of advice for someone looking to improve their health and happiness? There's so many. (laughs) Not that, like, I don't know which one is the best, though. Like, I think the best will be for whichever person it is. Um, I think that for me, actually, one of the things that is really important to remember is uh, our mortality essentially and um i know a bit controversial <laughs> yeah like, here we go but um but yeah i think that it's i think it's like i mentioned it before like making friends with reality i think is the most powerful thing because um when we don't we just suppress and repress all these really difficult things and so you know remembering that we've only got this one life um at least that we know of and um we need to make the most of it and we want to be able to you know express as much love express as much understanding as and and feel as connected as we can throughout you know i i think with especially like with my parents and with people that i'm close to like i i think that really that reminder that like at some point we're gonna die at some point they're gonna die you know like that is gonna happen so let's make the most of now and um yeah that sort of just brings everything down and uh also just slows me down and uh allows me to just embrace this moment and i think a lot of us struggle to get into the present moment because we're so caught up in 
all the things we want to do and the future and the past. And uh, so that really helps me come into the present. That's certainly a theme that keeps coming up about being present, slowing down, particularly for people that live a busy life or, you know, just in the fact that the way that the world is now, it's so stimulating that it's dragging us apart from so many different angles and being able to stop. And yes, you mentioned mortality there, which can put people on edge. And I think we're really poor at talking about death in general. It scares the living daylights out of everyone, but, and rightly so, of course, but you know, once you do make peace with the fact that we aren't immortal, you can start to really see what's important and and, and take every moment, you know, not for granted, yeah. you know, really, really try and be as present as possible. Yeah. I'd usually round up there, but George, you are a secret poet. And I thought it would be really nice if you could maybe finish the, the podcast off with a few words. Yeah, for sure. So I really didn't know which poem to go with when you said that <laughs> I was going to do this. this. But, um, but this is, it's a, it's a short poem. And I think it might be why I was uh, wanting to say that as the final tip. So um, the poem is called This Moment is Holy. Fear and ecstasy conflate, combine in this moment divine. I know not what the future holds, but it doesn't bother me. For now's the only thing I see. Close your eyes and breathe, my sweet. You're here, I repeat. You're here. Follow me through the trees. Leaves a parade of pride for you along the path of the forest floor. For your naissance, the essence of life, resides within you. If only you allow yourself to be. Yes. Take, give, love, make, dwell, sell, burn, rip, dip, sip, slip, sweep, suddenly free into the scenery, merging with reality. Or is this all a dream? What more is left for you and me beyond mortality? You'll see. You'll see. I'm sure there's some rounds of applause going on as well. (laughs) George, that was beautiful. Thank Thank you you. so much for our way to end. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. What a legend George is. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him and I chew the fat. He's a man with a plan. He's got big ideas. It really was an eye-opening conversation. If you want to follow him at How Mental on Instagram, they do a lot of good stuff, so go check them out. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please do share it. It goes an awful long way. It will make me a very happy man. You can even give it five stars on Spotify, but I won't be mad if you don't. Have a lovely week. New episode coming soon. Bye.